Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to an episode of TV7 Editor's Note. I'm Jonathan Hassan, and joining me for the program today, as usual, is my dear brother in Christ and uh, colleague Yair Pinto. How are you today? I'm doing great, Jonathan, and it's really excited to share uh, with our viewers all that's going on in TV7 and in the region. But I think uh, we should start with uh, prayer. Absolutely. Go ahead. <laughs> Thanks. Please join me back at home. Avinu Shabbat our Father in heaven, please join us today. We invite you to our hearts, to the studio, to join us in this program. We want you to lead this program. We want you to speak to our viewers. We know that there's so much information available in the world these days, but we only seek your truth and your will and your word. So please guide us to find the your path for us. Bless Jonathan, bless uh, our families here, our team, and the viewers back at home. Hashem Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. Amen. Yeah, well, I think that uh, with this new line that we started with editor's note, that uh, we go deeper into the events and try to better explain uh, our viewers so that they can understand what's going on, we like to focus you know, the first topic of this program is uh, Europe. We, we understand that the eyes of the world are focused on Europe, especially on the border between Ukraine and Russia. Maybe you can give us a, a better understanding what's going on there. How should we pray for it? How does it affect us, our viewers and the world? Absolutely. Well, Yael, the, the situation there is very difficult. Mm-hmm. It is a derivative of other events that occurred both in the United States and in, in the Middle East, uh, which was the trigger to everything that uh, allowed for in this current standoff between the West Why? and Why? How does the Middle East have... We'll get to that. <laughs> it's very far, I mean. Absolutely. <laughs> I know. You know, that we do have to keep note mm-hmm. at what is happening there. And whatever happens on the border between Russia and Ukraine, uh, we'll also have direct, uh, not direct, but indirect implications for Israel and the peace of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So we also need to keep that in mind that we need to pray for the situation there. There are uh, brothers and sisters uh, in the Lord in Ukraine, Mm -hmm. there are brothers and sisters in the Lord in Russia. TV7 Israel News happens to broadcast uh, in Russian Mm -hmm. also, as uh, our daily broadcast is also dubbed into Russian and is viewed across the board in both uh, countries. And uh, moreover, we have employees residing in Russia and in Ukraine. Ukraine. Yes. Uh, so obviously, uh, when we look at the situation, we understand quite uh, clearly that uh, the implications of the conflict there, uh, they are quite uh, dangerous. Mm-hmm. And you know, at an age where uh, I'll, I'll be careful with the words that I use, but uh, where uh, delusional perceptions and philosophies 
dictate realities predominantly in the West. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, they're so detached from reality on the ground and biological truths yes. uh, that uh, I think are the way the Lord intended things to be, um, that we are now seeing more and more um, faltering individuals uh, when it comes to crisis management, the way they're handling this crisis, the way they are um, operating within a hostile environment, and they're seeking to make points mm -hmm. rather than understand the real politique within the constellation of this geopolitical um, uh, situation, uh, yeah. which we, we truly should focus on and understand and, and comprehend the significance thereof. So what's, so what's really going on there? Like, I just hear these big headlines all the time. Could you maybe explain, you know, what's happening there and why should I worry about it or pray about it? And why should our viewers? Well, we will go deeper into this mm -hmm. in our Evopa Stance program, mm -hmm. which will take place later this month, uh, uh, where I will travel, obviously, to Helsinki, uh, not far from uh, that area, to quite and understand yeah. the significance of... of um, uh, the situation there, among other topics yes. of discussion. I think one of the, the most important things that we need to understand and comprehend is the significance of the past. Mm -hmm. One of the largest battles that occurred in the history of mankind, uh, if you will, and particularly in the Great Northern War, mm -hmm. so to speak, uh, it occurred in Poltava, Ukraine where Charles XII, uh, the king of Sweden at the time, who was a genius mastermind of military warfare, of geopolitics and, and um, other attributes that can be granted to him, uh, managed to conquer much of Northern Europe um, and defeated, actually, any opposition until mm -hmm. the moment of July 8th, 1708, if I'm not mistaken, 1709, excuse me, <laughs> okay. uh, which was uh, a, a turning point in European history. In Zvolensky uh, Square, in, in the Russian Foreign Ministry, until today people are studying, the, the um, Russians, the new diplomats and, and strategists and so on, they're still studying that war which has turned Sweden from an expansionist true power into a passive domestic-oriented entity. I actually visited the battlefield and visited, there's a museum built there, and, and um, there's quite the significance to that. In Poltava, Ukraine. In Poltava, in Ukraine. <laughs> uh, the, the Swedes actually had the upper hand from many of the aspects. Back then, Ukraine, which Ukraine actually means the borderlands. Mm -hmm. The borderlands of what? Of the Russian Empire. With whom? Sweden. It was always those two powers that were competing with one another on the northern fronts. But they study it so much, even today, uh, because this created a new power vacuum that mm -hmm. allowed back then Peter the Great, Peter the First, to then expand his power to other regions. Of course, he also had other aspects and 
um, mm-hmm. is a, a quite the, the interesting individual that can be very deeply studied to understand also the Russian perspective of things. Because mm-hmm. until today, a leader in Russia who wants to portray himself as uh, significant, Peter the First or Peter the Great, is uh, the likeness that all Russians look towards into true greatness. So they compare themselves to him. Putin, yeah. uh, other leaders, they would want to compare themselves to Peter the Great in order to indicate cultural superiority, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, from a Russian narrative. Uh-huh. Uh, in this uh, story, of course, there are different schools of thoughts and uh, uh, the Ukrainians have their own school of thought, the Russians have their own school of thought, but they are brothers in, in many respects. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, um, we all are privy to the Cold War if we move forward. Yeah. Uh, and there are many implications and, and different aspects that uh, were um, brought about out of this Cold War, including one of the agreements between the Russians and the Americans at the time, uh, or the West for that matter, was uh, the um, Yalta uh, mm-hmm. summit, the, the agreement between both sides. And there were very specific um, terms and conditions to the Yalta Accords, which benefited Russia or the Soviet Union at the time quite greatly. Mm-hmm. Now, Putin seeks to draw the West back into an equilibrium where the terms and conditions of the power balance between East and West is derived from those Yalta agreements. Mm -hmm. Other agreements, however, formed afterwards because reality changed. Uh, The West, of course, defeated without firing or with firing just several bullets, but not in overt, but more covert operations. Um, the Soviet Union, yes. The Soviet Union collapsed uh, mm-hmm. with uh, many understanding that the, the situation was very different than what reality showed, which, by the way, is also true today for China, also true today for Iran. Yeah. Power projection does not necessarily mean, or military term power projection is maybe misused in this context, but projecting power in a sense, um, does not necessarily mean that the domestic or the fiscal capacity of a country allows them to to do so. Yes, I understand. So it's it's more of putting a face on. And what you're Absolutely. saying is that uh, Putin wants to put Russia back to her, bring her back to her old, you know, glory days as an equal to the United States with this uh, these former agreements that gave her much power in Europe and in the world. Not even an equal to the United States. Bigger than what she is today. It seeks to to um, assert divisions. In the West. In the West. I see. So okay, like to crumble so the, the Western... Right now, China, Russia, Iran, uh, other countries, including North Korea, there's a long list of, <laughs> of that camp. They're engaged in a uh, public opinion campaign. Mm-hmm. This public opinion campaign is not necessarily about them. It's about the definition of Europe, the definition of the West. Yes. Okay, so we spoke about, and, and our viewers are um, who follow our programs uh, regularly, they know that uh, the United States 
and the West, quote unquote. Uh, when we refer to the West, we also refer to Australia. We also refer to uh, other countries, New Zealand, that yeah. are not necessarily in the West. But if we continue with the globe, <laughs> then ultimately everybody are in the West. But the Western Hemisphere, based mm -hmm. on the Greenwich understanding uh, of uh, the British Empire, if we put things in context, uh, ultimately we look at the situation where we realize that they understand that there is a fracture in the West. It was expedited, this fracture, in the disengagement from Afghanistan by NATO, even though that also clearly defined what NATO actually is, and that is the United States plus yes. uh, the rest of, of uh, the countries who participate in this alliance. This created a perception in the East and in different countries uh, uh, around the world that are not aligned with the West. Mm -hmm. okay? So taking out of this equation, of course, Japan and South Korea and, yes. and other countries. The, the East wanted to utilize this to, cr to help the West fracture more. If you will. Yeah. So basically, what what you're saying, starting with your your story about uh, the history of uh, Europe and Poltava and all that. So basically, you're saying that the East thinks that there is a power vacuum, especially now with the U.S. you know withdrawal from Afghanistan, and now he's taking advantage or advantage of it and you know putting a strong face now with moving the troops to the Ukrainian border. Right? And other places, also Iran is using that in other Think Eastern countries. Think about this way, and, and this will, in layman's terms, simplify this mm -hmm. very easily. If the democratic societies, which are very slow to react but very resilient once reacting, mm -hmm. if their public opinion within those societies decides that uh, engaging in geopolitical aptitude or activities is not worth uh, going through that struggle, it allows for countries who do not need to necessarily take the public yes. opinion into account uh, to expand and fill the vacuum. The yeah. vacuum. Mm -hmm. So what is happening right now is that there are so many actors, whether it's the United States becoming more and more isolationist, mm -hmm. wanting to pull out, wanting to engage in a strategic competition in safeguarding this global world order that was formed in order to maintain this order base that benefits the United States mm -hmm. very much because stability benefits the economy of the most powerful country on earth. Yeah. Ultimately, this allows the United States to act uh, more freely. So the pivoting eastward came at the expense of other areas that impact the United States, not less, because ultimately the United States needs to deal with public, public relations. Yes. So does EU member states, Great Britain, um, Norway, and other countries who are looking at this situation, and they're telling themselves, look, um, why should we now engage in this issue with Russia? Let them do what they want. This has nothing to do with us. This is the public yeah. sphere. Yeah, we have enough problems. We have the COVID pandemic. We have economic situations. Indeed. My voters do not want me to spend money 
in Russia and Ukraine. They want me to spend the money and help them. What is the worst thing that that happened mm-hmm. um, as a ramification of the COVID pandemic? Other than the health crisis. Why countries became more focused on themselves? Societies stopped, to, uh, stopped trusting their leadership. Societies stopped trusting the institution that governs them, even though this institution is supposed to represent them. So this um, dismay, this resentment towards government, who does it serve? Those who seek to compete with those governments within the geopolitical arena. So whether or not, uh, you know, there, there are different theories about uh, the, the origin and, and the consequences of, of this um, disease, which has claimed lives, it has um, harmed many people, both on the medical aspect, but mm-hmm. also very significantly, and I believe even more significantly, mm-hmm. from a psychological perspective, many people, many children, uh, the children today are not going to be the same as our generations going backwards. Uh, they will be the same to a certain degree, like the Spanish flu, even though the Spanish flu that occurred during the Great War uh, of uh, World War I, uh, that is, there was there uh, a lot more trust in the government at the time because, again, the, there were different challenges at hand, uh, there were battles, but the majority of those who died were soldiers in the battlefield, the young. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So ultimately, when we're looking at the, the situation between Russia and Ukraine and the insistence of the United States to take a more standish uh, position towards Russia, towards this whole situation, is because the United States understands that this is its chance to prove that it's not weak. Yeah, that it's still relevant, that it's still still a superpower. The alliance with Europe is strong and NATO is strong and it's capable to withstand a strong military. The Russians do have a strong military with a strong nuclear or non-conventional arsenal. But the Russians at the same time have an economy the size of Italy. They're not Mm -hmm. even a player in front of the United States. Mm -hmm. Neither are the Chinese, by the way. Okay, the Chinese have less than half uh, the the GDP of of, uh, the The economic capacity and economic capacity of the United States is is far smaller, even though the Chinese are very clear and and understand the long-term goals of what they want to achieve and understand that it cannot work on a two-to-two basis or two-to-four basis when we're talking about democratic societies that live... Four um, years, four years, yes. Election to election. (laughs) But... Going through all of that, we see that there is more and more alignment between the different powers. We see that there is more and more signals of uh, competition, not only on the great power competition, but also regional power competition, Mm -hmm. on local power competitions. We see the different um, uh, alliances being forged also in our region. Oh, yeah. If you talk about that. Just on the 22nd of January, there was a Russian-Syrian joint uh, border patrol mechanism, if you say so, that um, that was formed uh, on the north northern border of Israel. 
when a Russian plane alongside a Syrian plane flew together and patrolled the border. How does this affect Israel, this new alliance thing, when Israel has a, a mechanism with Russia to prevent such, uh, you know, attacks between Israeli planes and Russian planes? You know, this makes, makes one think that uh, there is a new alliance and Russia is maybe signaling something to us. That's also what all the, the international media Indeed, and we reported something yes. else, obviously, after that. Well, yeah, you, uh, this joint patrol was quite intriguing because it, it, it signified something uh, in today's age when we're really looking at the situation and how it's portrayed to the global uh, community, the international community, uh, people watching from all over the world, including in Israel, by the way. Mm-hmm. So uh, this joint patrol you spoke about, uh, you speak about, is is uh, a first joint aerial patrol. Yes. Okay. Yes. There were many patrols uh, with uh, Russia. Uh, they were quite um, successful since 2014 to make. Um, the Damascus regime uh, to a certain degree relevant, even though I do believe that Damascus is quite relevant still uh, Mm -hmm. in in certain aspects. Um, The Iranians are not as influential as they want. They're there at the behest of, you want to say Damascus, but actually Moscow. But uh, when we really look and, and identify this joint patrol, um, which actually occurred on the 20th. And then on the 22nd, uh, Novostiria and Sputnik Radio um, published this at the behest of the Russian Defense Ministry uh, to highlight this joint patrol yes. that also uh, occurred on the Syrian side of the Golan Heights, which is indeed the border with Israel. Mm-hmm. Now, while the Russians were doing some sort of an exercise, uh, uh, they were doing mock strikes and also actual strikes in certain mm-hmm. um, areas in central Syria. Uh, they also uh, had the Syrian pilots then provide them aerial, aerial uh, defense, defense yeah. and also um, aerial HQ or coordination. Mm-hmm. So they were seeking to um, further deepen the interoperability between the Russians and Syrians. Now what's interesting in this whole story is that immediately Israeli mainstream, Israeli media, published stories about a signal to Jerusalem, a signal to Israel, the uh, Russian-Israeli deconfliction mechanism is uh, under duress, and we're going to see with significant analysis uh, by those papers about political officials and this and that and all kind of uh, um, senior officials, unnamed, but senior officials telling them that, yes, now you can expect probably that Israel will stop striking in Syria and will forgo because they don't want to um, get into a, a problem with the Russians. Mm-hmm. Um, so it means that the news said that Israel will lower its you know, operational capacity in right. Syria and yes. stuff like that, which... So uh, this was picked up by international media, yeah. including uh, Christian media outlets, mm-hmm. uh, various... Uh, uh, channels and um, uh, social media people who quite keenly like to follow the public uh, information mm-hmm. out there um, immediately went out and said, okay, this is the situation. 
Um, I remember seeing this report uh, communicating with the Russian Defense Ministry, which was um, quite difficult because they're not very open about what they want uh, uh, about everything. Because <laughs> they only want to tell you what they want to tell you, nothing else. Yeah. Um, but I was starting to go down the line. I spoke with uh, some Russian sources that we have uh, in the military, also on the northern side of the, mm-hmm. the border, and also a number of Israeli generals and, and colonels, including people who are involved directly yeah. with uh, those things. Um, and they all looked at this and they, uh, they didn't even understand what's the problem. Um, so I, I was going through the whole uh, scenario and uh, we uh, came to the point that on the 26th, I decided, okay, we have enough information to say the I'm entire on, media yeah. is wrong and nothing has changed and there's no issue. So we quoted also uh, certain generals um, and uh, a colonel and, and other um, people who we also spoke with. We, we left out of this report for various reasons. Uh, but the bottom line was, there, nothing is new, and lo and behold, a week later, or a couple, well, a week later, on yeah. the 31st, there was an Israeli strike. There's so much deception going on, and it just shows how most media outlets are very easy mm-hmm. when it comes to publishing um, stories, just, you know, for the, for headlines. the sake of headlines, for yes. the sake of sensationalism, and drawing in people as much as possible. Uh, I hear in the ear that we're out of time. (laughs) So unfortunately, this is all the time that we have for today. Hopefully, uh, what we spoke of uh, was interesting and and, um, provided some added value, also from a global scale and also from a local scale. But I think it's very important to remember that the Lord is in control. And just one sentence, Isaiah 40, 31, says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. God is our strength. Amen. So, Yair, thank you for uh, being part of this program. Uh, I'd like to thank our viewers as well. God bless you, and we'll see you again for yet another episode of Editor's Note very soon. Shalom. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.